it, it's it's a it's a longer time frame, I think. And and sometimes uh, companies that may be coming more just from you know the the traditional website may not realize how much more complicated it is to make changes on mobile first native mobile experiences. Um, there's a lot more things hoops to to jump through. It's not just deploying code on production. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. go we're all set we're recording so john welcome back thanks a lot good to be back again for the yeah we know jason this week jason is off enjoying some some vacation time so um yeah it'll just be the two of us this week and yeah i have something interesting i think for for our listeners this week absolutely yeah well jason will be missed I yeah, think, uh, there's not too many episodes without him. So, <laughs> no, there's there's only a, a handful. One of the limited edition ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, how much longer are you in California? Um, I'll be here till the end of the month. Um, so just end a few July. more weeks. Yeah, end of July. Okay. So yeah, it's been been a good trip out here. Uh, nice. it, the summer just uh, kind of started out here. I know it's been incredibly mm-hmm. hot for for a lot of us in the in the US, but um, mm-hmm. California kind of had a very late start to it. So starting to heat up a little bit, but not nice. too bad. And then so heading back to, to, to Thailand, to Thailand. Beginning, yep. of, beginning of August. Okay, nice. Yeah. So enjoying the non-humidity as much as possible on this yeah. side of the world. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what um, when is like the, the hot and humid summer season? In Thailand. Um, so the hottest season is in um, the springtime around April. That's the okay. hottest, typically the hottest month. This time of the year, um, summer in the U.S., like June to August or so, is like what they call the rainy season mm-hmm. in in Thailand. So it, it can have it, it's it's a strange time. Well, one, it, it you know there's torrential like tropical storms a lot of the time, but um, the, the weather always completely fluctuates too because like right before the rain it's incredibly humid for a while until you're just almost begging for the rain and then after it mm-hmm. rains you can see a little bit cooler temperatures which is comfortable but it's just the the back and forth and the the um chaos that the the rains cause sometimes flooding and things like that it it's a it can be a little crazy time mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's nice to have a little bit more calm predictable stuff going nice. on if we can call it that because everything's yeah. changing so much too <laughs> it was cool the other day um in the evening um i saw the space station fly overhead oh from, neat from out here which i never i never have before i mean that's one thing in asia the, the it, one i think there's a lot of light pollution and just generally mm-hmm. the humidity causes overcast stuff at, at night a lot so you don't see as much of the night sky which i totally miss so it was it was super cool it, uh 
over the Bay Area. It flew over for about seven minutes, actually. It was a direct flyover, which was uh, quite crazy. I never saw it before, so yeah. I'm not sure if you have. I've seen it once. Um, my father-in-law is signed up for text messages that uh, yeah. will alert you if there's a, a flyover in your area. And uh, it'll kind of let you know like wh- where to look for it. So I, I have seen it once. That's cool. Yeah. Quite a, quite a treat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so I wanted to continue a bit of our conversation last week. So digging into, into our topic for today. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to focus on one thing specifically, and we've talked a bit about it in passing, um, the, the idea of mobile first, um, and really, cause it started with, I wanted to get your perspective in general on a couple topics that were, you've really encountered or, or come across in your time in Southeast Asia. Um, like we were talking last week, it just like, just generally, what are the differences Mm-hmm. between what someone's going to experience there when it comes to marketing and digital analytics and the digital experience uh, versus, say, what maybe people are more familiar with, with say, say the U.S. or Europe or something like that. Um, and one of the, the things specifically that came out of that is the idea of mobile, mobile first. And I want to look at that this week from, from a couple different aspects because I'm just going to kind of throw a few things out. We'll just start to unpack them. Um, one of the things that you mentioned last week was Southeast Asia is highly mobile first to overuse that term this week um, mm-hmm. because of the idea that like, unlike say what people experienced in North America and Europe, the people in Southeast Asia kind of skipped over the whole personal computer desktop phase and went right mm-hmm. to mobile devices. So that is their primary computing device at this point, uh, you know, smartphones. Um, so there's that. And then when I hear mobile first in the context of, uh, especially companies and experiences in North America, I, I, I kind of have that moment of, of, is this a company saying we want to be mobile first and we're claiming to be mobile first? Like we've seen with things like we claim, you know, people, they claim we're this organization or we're that organization or we're a driven data driven organization. Is it the same thing? And like, what is it mean to be truly mobile first? So through a lot out there, I guess let's start with mm-hmm. the, you know, kind of unpacking the comment you made last week around, you know, the, the people in, in Southeast Asia kind of, jumping right to smartphones and mobile devices. Sure. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's always exceptions to the rule. But I, I think this is the case, um, not just in Southeast Asia also. I think it's a lot of the um, quote unquote uh, developing areas of the world, um, developing economies. Um, so I think it's also very true with a lot of uh, South American countries and um, African countries as well, um, but definitely also true in, in Asia. Um, and not necessarily just developing countries, um, but maybe that was the wrong wrong phrase to use. Uh, so I apologize about that. But um, basically, um, the idea is that most people do not necessarily have uh, desktop computers um, as, as one thing. Um, I mean, it, it, it's changing in, in certain um, levels of, 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 of societies, of course, but, but generally the average person would not have a, a laptop at home. Um, that's one reason. Another are, I think, the type of, so not everyone is um, a knowledge-based worker. Like in the U.S., most people are working on their computers during the day. That's not necessarily the case with the, over, with the majority of the, the population in many other areas. You know, these are areas that have a lot of um, 
uh, service-oriented jobs, a lot of um, agricultural-type jobs. Um, so, so people are not sitting at a, at a desk all day. Um, they also could be um, in, in a lot of these, you know, Asian mega cities where the majority of of, of uh, internet users would be. Um, a lot of people are on very long commutes as well, or have a lot of, um, you know, downtime uh, 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 from just their daily activities. So basically, what it means is they're on their phones quite a bit, um, uh, and it's just become. And I think it's maybe like a um, uh, self-fulfilling thing too, where you know, as um, as more people do it, it encourages more people to you know have the similar behaviors. Um, so because of that, um, I think a lot of and what are people doing on their phones? I think it's it's basically three main categories. Um, one is around social media. Um, I think more and more that's that's specifically more short-form video kind of content. Um, and social media is very big, very, very heavily prevalent, more so than than the U.S. I would say, um, influencer marketing is is still uh, uh, a huge thing, and it's not necessarily the mega influencers; it's the the nano influencers, the very small ones. Um, there's a lot of content consumption. So, um, in addition to social videos, I mean, like just uh, um, produced uh, content, movie, TV content, a lot of streaming, streaming video. Um, Gaming is also very, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a very heavily used uh, um, demo as well, which I don't know, uh, depending on the industry you might be in, you may or may not be thinking about marketing through, through games. Um, and also, I think kind of related and probably the overarching thing is all of these uh, different components do lead into to, to commerce in some way or another as well. Um, so that, uh, there's a lot of consumption being going on, basically, a lot of consumption of all kinds of content. Um, I mean, being mobile first means, um, I mean, obviously, the this, this screen is smaller, and there's some limitations we can go through there. But it's, um, it's also always on um, the person, for the most part. They're jumping in and out of it throughout the entire day. Um, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a way to, you know, it, it's a very personal connection. And then a lot of times um, in these economies that, you know, have average lower incomes, a phone is a huge expense too. So it's, a, it's kind of a prized thing. So it's, um, um, there's that aspect maybe to, to consider as well. But it's, um, yeah, it's just, uh, for most people, their main touch point into the, the world, the internet is through their, their mobile device. You bring, you bring up several good points. You bring like the always on kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know you were talking about it's always on you. You're always, it's always in your pocket, but I think of like, it's always on in the form of, of push messages. Yeah. And actually, you know, if, if I can interject there for a second, and I mean, also you just get a lot more push messages. Cause I think as we, we talked about last time, um, because of it, it's being mobile first. And, and I think we'll probably dig into mobile first strategies and what that means, but Basically, the result is a lot of uh, brands will have their own presence and have the ability to send you push notifications in some way. So yeah. it's a it's a it's a thing. I'm very thankful for all the the, the silencing options we have on our phones. <laughs> oh, I, I've got focus time turned yeah. on on my laptop, on my phone. 
Like yeah. I, I've got pretty much everything silenced during during the day, with yeah. the exception of like text messages from my wife. Like, yeah, that's good. That everything else is is pretty much silenced. Um, so I guess let's let, let's dig into a bit more of like what it means when a company or what it should mean when a company says they're mobile first, but then also mm-hmm. contrast it with what is it mean to be what does it mean to not be mobile first? Like let, let, let's define both sides of it. So based on on your experience, what what are some characteristics? What are some strategies companies employ when they say we want to have a mobile first experience for for our customers? Yeah. So I think I mean the first thing is focusing on the mobile experience because I think there is a difference of uh, UX designed with mobile in mind first versus the the kind of UX that starts on the web. Uh, you know, meant for a bigger browser and then kind of scales down to the like, like the, the responsive the design, responsive design. Um, exactly. And I think there's some cases where it's probably done really well. But in the most cases, responsive design is not the most ideal experience on, on mobile, um, as are a lot of uh, web view types of um, um, uh, situations that you can develop into mobile apps as well. Um, Really, I mean, there's on on a, on a phone. You have a lot of different gestures you can take advantage of. Um, you know, gestures that have become uh, somewhat standards through you know other popular apps, such as you know whether it's swiping or zooming. Um, I find so myself all things... the time immediately going oh, yeah. to the pinch to zoom. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I mean, so when you're talking about designing for mobile, it's beyond just being able to see the content on the screen. It's really thinking about all those interactions as well to make it as easy for the for the user. So it's 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 a much deeper, I think, um, uh, research process or understanding of of mobile experiences. Um, yeah, because yeah. because in some ways, I mean, I get the under yeah, I get the the purpose of responsive design, but like when we're kind of talking about this level of detail mm-hmm. about like the experience and gestures and you know, taps versus clicks, it almost feels like responsive design is that half-assed attempt to say you're mobile first. Yeah, I mean, I feel like sometimes, uh, at least my experience with a lot of organizations in in the US that, you know, maybe, oh, they realize they have some users on mobile. So, you know, they'll make sure that the the website is compatible with mobile. Um, Yeah, maybe have some responsive design so the tables align correctly or whatnot, but, Unless, for instance, you're thinking about how someone might input uh, data into a form, for example. Um, I mean, if you have mobile um, UX principles in mind, that can be that can be the difference between converting and not converting. Um, just the way the ease of 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 using um, uh, a product with you know thinking about how mobile users are, are thinking. Like you, you also don't want to if you're switching between different apps. You know, you have um, kind of a, a oh boy, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the right psychological terms, but in your mind, basically, you're, you know, you're used to, to, to using gestures in a certain way. And um, it's, it's basically very, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not ideal to be, to be having to switch your mindset between mobile and web. Um, 
interaction principles, I guess, within mm. within a, a session. Because I think that's the other thing you have to keep in mind about mobile users. I mean, there's people are sw switching between apps all the time. If someone's actively messaging with their friends, you know, they might be jumping in and out of something else. So um, I think all those things just have to be thought about. Like it should be easy to, you know, go in and out. If you have a web page that normally times out, that doesn't work so well on 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 mobile either so there's a lot of different i think smaller considerations you really have to understand the way people use mobile versus versus um desktop type experiences how yeah so so let's let's talk about that a little bit more like in the concept of like native mobile app versus like a mobile site so mm -hmm. like a mobile dot you know, site.com or m.site.com. Um, like if, if a company were to say they're mobile first, like, do you have a perspective on, well, then you need to heavily invest in a native mobile app or having a mobile, I don't want to say mobile optimized because again, that, that mm -hmm. takes like the idea of like, you're scaling your, your desktop site to, to fit a mobile device, but like a mobile centric site, like, is there yeah. a preferred, a preferred methodology? Yeah, this is, this touches on a very important uh, question that constantly comes up with organizations because there's pros and cons to both situations, creating an, a native app versus creating the, you know, the, the universal experience that can be accessed on any device very easily. I'll, I'll call mm -hmm. it that. Um, the app direction, is much more resource intensive. Um, as, as 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 many of the frame, universal frameworks that you know will work on um, Android and iOS, and that's the other thing too. I mean, you're you're not just talking about iOS; you're talking about uh, Android and iOS together. Um, in many countries, iOS is not the majority of the the user base, so you really have to be thinking about both of those platforms as well if you're talking about mobile. Um, and each of them have their own uh, nuances as well, from from privacy things to gestures um, to the way you know the you know the switching between apps or uh, player and player Chromecast versus Apple Play. Like a lot of there's a lot of differences between all these platforms, and all of those require um, a lot more investment to work on because you're talking about completely different platforms in, in a way. You know, you need a separate dev team, you know, whereas the, the, the unified web experience, you might not need more resources to do it. So usually um, companies are, or the, you know, the business team might be pushing for that universal experience because it can get, um, you know, can get deployed a lot more quickly. But from the user base and for, uh, from, the, from the user perspective and from, the, from what we're seeing in the data, I mean, if, the experience is more catered to, to their you know to their individual device through a native app like and all the, the gestures and everything is all built in the experience is much nicer i mean they're going to be converting higher they're going to be engaging longer it's just uh i mean i think from what we've seen from and there there's i'm sure there's exceptions but by far um we've seen that native apps perform better on average than, you know, uh, the kind of um, web experiences that are um, simplified for mobile. 
um, which I think makes sense. But it's just like a, a balance of like, are the are the additional resources worth it to make the difference in, in value? Yeah. Um, so, but that's 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 the main question for a lot of uh, companies and in, in, in the product teams for for the uh, you know how mobile focused they should be. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, would you say then, like, if you truly want to be a mobile first company, again, I, I'm going to beat that term to death this episode, mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's, you need to make that kind of investment in a, in a native mobile. Yeah. And it goes beyond, and, and, you know, so far we've just been talking about the, the development of the, and the product side of things, but, um, to be mobile first and have a mobile first strategy, it's also, uh, comes from the marketing side as well. Um, because there's specific channels that work better on mobile than they would on desktop. For instance, um, a lot of social media advertising. Um, you know, people are using Facebook on their phones. If there's Facebook ads, they're probably more. Uh, you know, that's a that's a lot bigger channel than than paid search uh, on mobile, for instance. So a lot of the, I mean, the, and that you know affects marketing budgets and things like that. So. Having a, a universal approach across channels is not always the, the most ideal. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, so, so in that that regard, I mean, mobile always has to be thought about, it, you know, across every department. Now, it's not just the development; it's the way the marketing works as well. Yeah, and that actually brings me to my next question. Um, so, kind of starting to zoom out a bit because we we started this conversation kind of focused on your experience with Southeast Asia. Kind of want to broaden it a bit. Um, outside of just the kind of regional, regional needs, regional nuances or whatnot. Um, broadly speaking, um, why would a company want to position themselves to be mobile first? Like what would be the driving factor to say, we are going in this direction? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, well, it's, as we're trying to get on, you know, more in front of more eyeballs, more of the time. I mean, we can't deny that everyone does have, I mean, someone's mobile device is their mo the most like intimate way to, to get in touch with someone. Um, even if, you know, currently uh, an organization might be seeing, looking at their, you know, device platform breakdown in their analytics tool and seeing mobile is just, just a small percentage. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean, um, that you shouldn't invest in mobile. It might just mean that your site is not very uh, geared towards mobile users. So that's why you have a small percentage of users. You know, it's not necessarily, it could be just a reflection of uh, the current user journey on why uh, someone might not be seeing higher mobile traffic. Um, it could be, I mean, it, it seems like a great way to um, just, you know, expand the amount of um, eyeballs that you're you're being exposed to um, it's it's I mean it's it's a world beyond just um, you know the I mean thinking of it and I think it's just in terms of a desktop now it could is just kind of um, becoming a little bit more antiquated quite frankly um, it's it's or maybe I mean depending on your 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 target potentially, if you're just B2B, perhaps, you know, desktop is is a lot more important than, than mobile could be. But um, for any company that's trying to market to consumers overall, I think you, by not being 
or thinking of mobile, you're you are definitely missing out on you know a potential piece of the pie, however large that may be. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to know also without having like if if no if if none of your marketing strategies are aiming towards users while they're on their phone, you they may not be coming to your site. So that might might be a reason why you're seeing low mobile traffic. Yeah. So side tangent for a second. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, you mentioned there about like, you know, most intimate way to, to be in touch with customers. Um, have you ever looked into the effectiveness of push notifications? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it so, um, yeah, I mean, they can be both very effective and they could also be very ineffective as well. So it's kind of a, um, I guess an open-ended question to, to answer because there's a lot of different strategies you can do with push messages as well. I mean, and that's another thing that maybe a lot of companies haven't thought about if you don't have an app also is just like the the push notification strategy. Like how do you word the the message? It's similar to you know paid search ads in a way, but you're kind of looking for an immediate action. If someone gets rid of a push notification on the spot, it's probably not coming back. Um, I mean, you also have to, uh, I, push notifications are also interesting because um, you, in, in a way, you almost have one chance to not really annoy uh, someone as well. Because as soon as you go over the line for that particular uh, user, they may block your notifications. And then you may not get another ch- chance at it. Um, so there's definitely a, a whole bunch of strategy um, um, in, you know, not being so aggressive from the onset, you know, in that, in that balance as well. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, for every aspect of, of mobile, it's, it's becoming quite complicated. Um, and then also, you, I mean, you're always having to stay up to date with the, the, the OS development as well, because the way notifications might even look on iOS or Android could change from version to version. So there's, there's a lot of things to, to keep in mind there. Yeah, because where where we you know started things, I think it was even before we hit the record button. We were talking about notifications and how like mm-hmm. I have the the focus settings on both my Mac and my phone to basically silence everything. And yeah, I was kind of curious like could push notifications cause consumer fatigue even faster mm. than say spam emails? Um, I think so because because you're basically forced the notification instantly. You know, an email maybe someone spends some part of their day to, to, to kind of browse through them. And that has a different kind of strategy potentially, but it, it, for a push notification, it could matter. It could, uh, you know, uh, are you, are you um, interrupting the user in the morning? You know, are they commuting? Are they at lunch? Like a, it, the timing also has a, has a huge impact on how um, successful it could be. Um, and with a lot of apps, you know, I mean, it's, it's based on some real-time event trigger as well, too. Maybe like uh, their TV show is starting. You want to give them a push notification to come back to the app or, um, you know, or, or, or a sale. Um, the other big thing, which we didn't mention yet, um, which you have the ability to use in mobile and not on desktop is location in marketing strategies. Uh, that, you know... Uh, I think, I mean, there's definitely some more concerns industry-wide around, you know, sharing uh, or the, the talk of sharing your uh, location data with, uh, you know, random apps. 
Um, but that conversation is not actually as common in, in uh, outside the US currently, or uh, potentially Europe. I'm, I'm not an expert on that. But um, in any case, in Asia, they're not, they're not talking about that that much at all. And location data is pretty heavily used in many marketing strategies as well. Um, it could be used for personaliza personalization. It could be used for segmentation. Um, there's there's all kinds of um, interesting things you could <laughs> potentially do with uh, with location. But um, of course, you know, it, I think that said, I I, I should mention that um, you know, in all cases, uh, apps still do have to disclose that they are using uh, location. So it's nothing. Um, you know, done in a in a uh, under the radar kind of manner, um, but it's just generally consumers seem to be more okay with the fact of sharing location. Perhaps they're they're used to it or, or don't see the, the concern there. Um, but uh, it, it's usually more a little bit more readily available as a, as a data source. Mm -hmm. um, so, kind of talking about like location concerns about using location data and. And spamming people with um, push notifications. You know, if, if you were to to engage with a company that's like, dude, mobile all the way. Like, this is the way to go. It is the way we need to engage with our customers. We're a mobile first company, and they're you know they're jumping headlong into it. What are some of the pitfalls they should be aware of? The pitfalls. Well, I think one that. Um comes up constantly just uh, when we're developing for mobile or you know creating experiences for from the mobile side is just the the time it takes from I mean the entire life cycle of, of a new project it's much longer on mobile than it would be on the web um, just because in many cases for instance if you want to make some change to the experience and you're talking about a you know something on the native app, you might need to change it in multiple platforms, like Android and iOS, as I mentioned. You have to wait for each of, uh, you know, after the whole development process, you have to wait for, um, you can't just push it instantly a lot of times. You'll have to wait for an app update, for instance. Um, so, and then even when the, the new version of the app is available, not everyone downloads it instantly. So really for a change to take place, it, it's, it's, a, it's a longer time frame. I think, and and sometimes uh, companies that may be coming more just from you know the, the traditional website may not realize how much more complicated it is to make changes on mobile first native mobile experiences. Um, there's a lot more things hoops to to jump through. It's not just deploying code on production. It's like uh, you have to do that, and then you know it has to go through an, uh, the app store review process. It has to, you know, there's a lot of steps before it actually becomes, gets to the user. And then even then, sometimes people don't update their apps until like a month after the fact. So it's a, it's, it's a long time before something fully gets deployed. Um, and I mentioned that, uh, I went in detail into that because it's yeah, very intimately familiar with, with that. It, it comes up quite a bit on uh, just how long things take. Um, and that's another reason a lot of uh, orgs might um, argue for for doing um, web view type of experiences. That's basically when you're embedding the, the web page almost in like in an iframe, you know, the, the, the frame of an app. Um, and sometimes that, that works and that can work for a lot of, and you can, and I mean, actually the best approach is really a hybrid kind of approach where you have some 
native experiences and then for you know potentially some content non-interactive things you can have those you know more um served in a in a way that you could make quick changes if you needed to um because for instance if you wanted to change some text on a you know on a um on a paragraph you don't want to necessarily have to wait for two months before it can go through all, all that process so um yeah there's there's ways you can kind of have a hybrid development but i think that's one 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 thing to keep in mind um it's just a lot more complicated <laughs> i would say um and that's not to mention even i mean obviously we're, when we're talking about analytics it's it also gets very complicated on on apps first especially when you have native native platforms because you in a sense it's it's just another you know uh if if the events and analytics events are are implemented natively i mean you have to work with it's basically working with a completely different platforms so it's it kind of doubles or triples the the work sometimes as well um so yeah a, a lot more of that needs to be supported i think you shouldn't jump into um mobile lightly like i think i think to to be successful with it you really have to take it seriously and and understand the beast that it could that, could, that it can be but also the 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 huge potential that it could have so um i have one more question and then we can kind of start to start to wrap things up kind of you know other thoughts maybe that you might have that i i haven't asked yet so we were just to kind of contrast things like when we're saying like, what is a mobile first experience, some of the key aspects to it, what would be some of the key aspects of the inverse of, mm. of that? Like, like if someone says we're mobile first, what should they not do? Hmm. Um, let's see. That's a good question. Actually, I don't know. Um, so if they're mobile first, what should they not do? Um, I think they shouldn't. Um, I mean, I think one thing is you do have to take the first release seriously if you're going to go mobile. Um, so not just uh, throw something at the wall and see Not just works. throw something at, at the winds. I think, uh, and mainly, I think the one, the other aspect you have to think about um, versus websites. So if, if, Say you had a bad website release um, one year, and then uh, you know it eventually got redesigned later. Like no one's still thinking about that old version of the website anymore after after a bit of time. Like it kind of resets itself. But in the app world, that's not necessarily the case because of uh, app store re reviews. Um, if you have any bad release or any kind of major bug that comes out, that affects your app store review rating which uh, ultimately could have uh, you know, a long impact down the line um, because those, you know, if there's a one-star review, that's gonna be there for all, potentially forever and it might turn people off, um, you know, depending on the, the app, of course. But um, uh, I think that's one thing to, to keep in mind that like um, you, Again, I guess it goes into the what we were just talking about, where where it shouldn't be rushed. It should, I mean, you should really consider what you're doing and kind of the the, the longer impact it, it might have on your brain. Not to scare, but more to to add caution to those that that want to <laughs> dive into it. Yeah, 
I, I really like how you brought that up because as you were talking, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Like, like I'm even thinking of like when, when websites change for the most part, yeah, you kind of remember it for a little bit, but then you quickly get used to the new flow and you completely forget mm -hmm. the, the way the site used to be. Um, even sites you visit daily, but mm -hmm. like when apps change major features, like that, yeah. that, that has staying power with people. Yeah. Yeah, some things are a lot trickier on apps in that case, um, in that manner. Um, yeah, because it's, I mean, and also in some cases, I mean, obviously we've seen, you know, apps that might have pissed off Apple or something and then they get, you know, banned or, or whatnot. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other thing. And I mean, I, I mean, that brings up another uh, aspect of marketing too that becomes very important with apps is just the app store there's like an app store version of SEO in a sense, you know, making sure that you show up on the search rankings within the app store. Um, so that's another aspect to, to think about too. Like there's a way to optimize keywords in the descriptions and release notes and things like that. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of other considerations um, that could really make or break because I mean, actually if you, if you have an app, you're really focused on, um, especially being a featured app, um, you know, being in the, in the top 10 rankings because that just even boosts things even higher. So there's a, uh, yeah, considerations that, and then also like, um, yeah, maybe competing with, with other apps in your space. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of times it's like a really, a real head to head, um, uh, competition. I mean, it's almost like you're, yeah, trying to market your, I mean, you don't really have to do that with the web, I guess. I mean, you're not really actively, <laughs> or, or I guess in a way you you could be, but it, it does feel a little bit more um, cutthroat, at least currently with <laughs> with yeah. the app environment. Yeah, like you know, I, I know the the store itself could be tough, and then not only are you fighting for search engine rankings, but now it's app store rankings you're fighting for. Yeah, so it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a <laughs> it's a different world out there. On yeah, the app side. It, it, it's an interesting topic because in many ways, like smartphones, they still feel rather new, mm -hmm. but they've also been around for 15 years at this point, which in technology, that's a long time. But mm -hmm. yeah, like you're, we're still finding new things about mobile, whether it's what customers are expecting as far as the experience, but then also just the development and deployment and you know, marketing of, of the app. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, things like, um, AB testing too, are very different on, you know, an app versus, versus web. Sometimes it's, um, I mean, it's usually a little bit more, uh, involved to set up an AB test for sure, or, or even what feature. And there's, there's kind of a, there's, a. Um, there's kind of a line you shouldn't cross with with A/B testing experiences on mobile as well, because if you go too far, then you could get get flagged by um, one of the app stores because you're kind of deceiving users potentially, or, or you know, you know, like. <laughs> what what is that line? It's a it's a good question. It's a I, I couldn't quote exactly what's what's documented, but uh, it's it's a little bit ambiguous on how much you can get away with. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 yeah, I would have to look up if there's, there's more specific guidelines now. Um, but I know there is a, there's kind of a, there's kind of a no go zone 
<laughs> with how much you're testing, which makes sense because it's you know it could be dangerous too. It could be used mischievous uh, in a in a bad way to to users too. Yeah. Um, so all right. I mean, this is this has been a lot of fun digging into to this specific topic, and yeah, I've, I've loved getting your firsthand experience where the the customer expectations or the the normal customer experiences is much mm -hmm. different than than what I'm used to. So it, it definitely helps provide perspective. Is there anything we didn't talk about that's that that would be good to be aware of? Um, yeah, I mean, I think from the analytics side, um, since we are talking analytics overall, um, the one thing that becomes much more complicated, and it's becoming complicated on the web too, but probably even faster on the app side is privacy and, and just what data you're able to collect, um, even counting users, uh, you know, having a user ID, like all those are becoming much, much more complicated. Uh, marketing attribution, um, and it's 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 because of the you know from the consumer side, I'm I'm very happy that there's all these additional um, you know privacy protections being put into place. But it does from the data side, it does make it um, uh, more challenging continually. Um, mm -hmm. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. Um, you'll probably have a lot more anonymous user activity than you're used to on the website because of that. Um, you know, just as we might be used to the notion of when you clear cookies, you become a new user, um, you know, depending on someone's privacy settings or whatnot. I mean, you know, sometimes the different instances of the, the, um, the, the user opening the app, if they're reinstalling, um, those are all unique anonymous users now. Um, so it's not really necessarily, uh, you know, as accurate if you're counting anonymous user to actual user um but it's just you know the the environment <laughs> that we have available um uh so, so i think because of that too there's also more of a um importance and maybe this would be a, a pointer for those wanting to delve into mobile experiences that you really want to try to drive people to log in um to get that um sense of a user <laughs> because it's uh, a, a relying on um, anonymous methods is becoming quite quite the challenge, and and a lot more inaccurate, I would say. Yeah, because um, I know like the, there's been a few e-commerce clients I've worked with recently, and you talk about like logging in and trying to to be able to authenticate users, and like mm -hmm. the login rates obviously on the web are you know small and. Yeah. You know, like, have you seen, like, successful ways to encourage users to to log in where maybe mm. they're more inclined to do that on a mobile app versus, say, a desktop site? Yeah, I think the one thing is the the, the idea of logging in is a little bit more commonplace on, on the mobile world. So that's good. Um, but still, it, I mean, it is a friction point, and it will turn someone off if they're too abruptly just asked to register without seeing any of the experience. So again, there's usually a balance of um, being able to give them some functionality uh, or some preview of functionality in an anonymous state, but then kind of, you know, um, promoting as aggressively as you need to, to for, for yeah. them to create an account and actually uh, log in. Maybe, maybe they can browse something, but can't, you know, maybe they can't read the full article, maybe they can't, uh, you know, post something themselves, 
um, maybe they can't share yet, but you know, it's kind of gating that somehow um, where uh, you incentivize the user to log in. Uh, I think just just asking them to do so to do so is is not as effective, um, but I think you can incentivize them to do so, and that seems to be a little bit easier on mobile experiences than than web experiences. Yeah, I'll tell you this: like required being required to log in to see anything. Uh, this is you know, obviously outside of things like bank accounts or anything like that, but just you know, normal content consumption mm -hmm. or online shopping being required to log in immediately is an immediate turnoff for me personally. Mm -hmm. Mobile app or des desktop web, either one. Yeah. Like that, that's an immediate uh, exit for me. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, there could be maybe some additional functionality that's unlocked. Like maybe you're able to, um, yeah, see something at first, but not, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Co comment or, or share or interact further. Um, or yeah, but yeah, there is definitely a balance. Um, but at the same time, if you're, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you just have to have to go one way or the other. Exactly. Cool. Well, John, hey, this has been been a lot of fun. It's it's, it's been great that you've been able to, to join us for a couple of weeks. And I've got a couple more episodes with you before you head back to to Thailand. You know, with you being in in California, it's made it much easier to schedule, much more convenient. Um, so, Absolutely. Uh, but yeah. Great, great conversation today. Um, I'm thinking like, let's go ahead and wrap up here. Any, any final thoughts before we close it out? Um, no, I mean, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I would just, I can't emphasize enough on how um, complicated mobile can be, but how fun it can also be too. Um, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of features you can interact on mobile specifically that are not necessarily available on the web. I mean, as we were talking, closing up, I, I was thinking about a lot more, um, uh, types of things as well. I mean, like when you're talking about a video player, you know, you, I mean, being able to, to Chromecast it or, or have a yeah, that's a good player good. in player window. I mean, those are, those yeah. are things that, you know, not necessarily as prominent on the, on, on the web. Yeah, no, that, that's a good thing. Um, and the big takeaway yeah. I did, I, I, I had from, from our conversation is, is with, with native mobile apps, like you got to get it right the first time you just can't mm -hmm. throw something something out there and say like, let's see what happens or let's just, you know, whip something together. You could do that with a website. You could quickly change. You can quickly fix mm -hmm. mobile apps. Like the, the taste can stay within, within a customer's mouth for a long time. And yeah, yeah. several, several bad reviews on a, an initial release that that's going to stay with you too. Yeah. So, so remember you, to eat your own dog food before you, <laughs> before yeah. you uh, release the app. Yeah, and, and really, really take the time to make sure it's done done well. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Cool. Well, good stuff, John. You know, great chat with you. Let's go ahead and wrap up there, and we'll talk to everyone All later. Right. That's good. Thanks. All righty. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.